Welcome to Missouri Swagger Folks. This is episode six. I'm Dennis Hopeless. That's cool. Oh, I guess I should let you introduce yourself. I would like that, Dennis. Please, let me, take, let me take my face in my own hands. It's easy for me to just do all the talking. That's right. Well, if you like it, but I would rather at least at least announce myself. <laughs> all right. All right, what are we talking about today? What's, what's the plan? All right, let's talk. Uh, I think we're going to talk about conventions, right? Let's do it. it this is episode... What, wait a minute. What episode is this? Six? six. Episode six. six. And we're going to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, everyone's favorite, uh, every creator's uh, love and hate relationship with conventions. Right? Yes. Well, I mean, I basically, I guess love hate is fair. Love hate's fair. When we met at a convention years and years ago, your favorite, your favorite convention experience, I believe. That's my least favorite convention experience, I thought. Well, no, that's not true. You were very pleasant and very fake nice to me when I bought your book. That sounds then, like me. And then later you just blew me off. I also remember, this is funny because I remember vividly going to, it was HurleyCon in Joplin, Missouri. We went to a small show run by a friend of ours yes. and we got to a steak dinner and you told your cougar story, yes. which you're going, definitely going to tell at the end of this episode. And <laughs> I made what I thought was a really funny joke and you gave me no credit for it. Like you were just deadpan looked at me and I thought, this is a funny guy. Why does he like my joke? And now as a, 30-something-year-old man, I realize it's because that's the obvious joke that every asshole makes, and it wasn't funny to you because you've been telling that story for years. Well, what was the joke? I, I, well, you have to tell the story, and then I'll All say right. what I also remember making fun of B. Clay Moore for being old at that dinner, and now that I am not the youngest comic creator in any circle, I understand that people in their 20s constantly make old jokes if you're older than them, and it's never funny. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, just recently, and I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. But just recently, someone on Twitter uh, was uh, was trying to insult me, and they said, "I bet Helen Bunn's 30 years old," <laughs> thinking that that would be an insult to my age, uh, and not realizing that I would give anything to be 30 years old once again. <laughs> that I haven't seen 30 in many, many years. When 30 only seems old for a very small window. I like that, uh, I like that every, every decade, you know, uh, 30 is the new 20 and 40 is the new 30. And I just want to keep backing that up. I want to make sure that, uh, you know, when I'm 80, I want that to be the new 15 or something. <laughs> well, it sort of is. Cause you're sort of an adult, but you also don't have any, like, you have to have help to do everything. Nobody trusts you. You're not allowed to drive. 80 kind of is 15. That's not funny. I don't like thinking about that. It's just around the corner, brother. I feel like I'm going to be not spry. I'm going to be a sad, broken down old person. Well, you've got or too much energy now. You got to conserve it. That's what I'm doing. That's why no one ever sees me uh, in an excited state because I'm trying to conserve my energy. You, however, see what you're doing. When when you are at a convention in 2000 tickety two or whenever it's going to be, uh, you will not be a spry comic creator. You'll be a very shaky man. I hope I'm in some sort of uh, like hover round situation where I just like have a little robot chair that I can drive around, so I can still spin, but I don't have to have any fitness to do it. That that's a good idea. Um, sorry. Right, so conventions. What I mean, what was your first convention experience? Either uh, both as a fan. Do you that's remember the, your first fan convention? I honestly think that's the problem with me in conventions. I never went to one as a fan. Like I was a comic book fan as a child, uh, but. 
we didn't, I, I didn't have a local shop for very, like maybe right. there was one for a year or two, but it never really went. And my dad liked to take me to things that he enjoyed. So we went to car shows and tractor poles and monster truck rallies and things. All uh, awesome events, by the way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But he would not like seek out things that I would like that he wouldn't. And uh, my mom would, but for whatever reason, we just never hit upon the comic book convention. Yeah. So I never went to one. And then uh, I went to college to be a screenwriter and then stupidly moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where there is, at, the, at that time, it was impossible to make movies. And uh, I met Kevin Mellon and we started um, doing comic book pitches. Like I turned my awful sh- short film ideas into comic book pitches. And my very first <laughs> Comic-Con experience was San Diego Comic-Con with a packet of pitches to hand out oh my gosh. to publishers. So That's I'm the worst. That's the worst convention yeah. to start out in. It's the worst convention and also the worst situation because I'm walking around with these packets no one's going to read, full of like, <laughs> this comic that shouldn't have been made. And I'm trying to pitch, like cold pitch, all these publishers who are getting that all weekend. Right. And I realize like, I have no idea how to elevator pitch something. I have no idea how to explain the story. Nope. And... Um, Years ago, one of my first uh, San Diego's, I was sitting at a publisher, uh, sitting with a publisher, talking to some people, trying to sell my work, and uh, I watched people coming up, handing them their pitch packets, and the publisher would just take them and say, oh yeah, thanks, and then they toss them right into a box that I know got pitched at the end of the convention, because it also had candy wrappers and coffee cups in it, so they were throwing them in the trash box. Well, and the fact is, even as a creator, when people hand you their stuff, by and large, you look at it. And unless it blows you away or you know the person for some other reason, you don't want to carry more paper home. you got a giant long box or you know two. What I, do? I, I actually always take them home. Do you? Always. I can't say I get to them very quickly, but, uh, but I always, if someone gives me something, I put it in my, in my briefcase pretty much right away. Uh, and, and, yeah, I always take them home and I try to look at them. See, I used to always put them in my long box because, you know, there's room in there. Right. As you see anything. But – I don't ever open my con shit in between cons. Yeah. So I will find it when I'm right. at the next session. So now what I try to do is in my downtime at the table, flip through it. If there's contact information or, you know, if it's awesome or whatever, then I will make note of that. And then either, I mean, the fact is I throw it away. Right. The fact is most people throw away your stuff. You give them the cons because most people do, unless they're me. <laughs> well, you also have like a team of goons who carry in like giant crates. Colin is like the John Madden of comic books where he drives that, to every show in a giant van full of books and has other people unload them for it. That is my entourage, sir, and uh, you you would be lucky to be a part of it. I like your goons. You're, they're my favorite people, but they, you have them. I have no goons. I have no goons. Well, the sad thing is all my goons, as you put it, I think of them as fine individuals. Not well, they're, they're your friends. I'm just saying that's the... They've all moved on to other things. They don't have time for me in my conventions anymore. Oh, well, that's true, because Jimmy used to be in the goon squad. No, Jimmy was, and yeah, now he is. He owns a comic shop, which means I kind of have to kiss up to him a little bit, and uh, and he's a, a writer in his own right. Um, no, I am, I am the opposite. I am terrible at shows. I am notorious for showing up late. Uh, and setting up after it's already open. I'm notorious for not being at my table. Yes. Although I realized, uh, because my girlfriend, this past Planet Comic Con, suggested that I make a, like a timesheet of when I'm going to be at my table and when, uh, I'm going to be gone. 
And so I did, like I posted online and I put up every day, like when I'm going to be here for these signing times, I had a dry erase board that said I was there and people still complained that I wasn't at my table. And the only time I was gone was either to eat lunch or to do the panels that I had agreed to. So you seem like you were gone a lot. I was not gone. I was there. I know that at one point I took all of my stuff on your table and just set up my table, expanded it by another table and took over your space for a while, which is my favorite thing to do. Look, my favorite thing about being at a show, apart from being on panels with you and making fun of you, is interacting with fans. Like I like Absolutely. signing books. I like talking to fans. I like I don't particularly like selling books. Like when people just yeah. wander cold, I'm not real thrilled about like, you know, this is gearhead, which by the way, that's why I'm wearing today. I made these gearhead shirts in two thousand and seven. I screen printed them in my kitchen and then I baked the screen print on in the oven. And then wow. put them on fire. Now I want a gearhead shirt. I probably got more. I'm the thing, is, the thing is, I'm like much skinnier now. So this medium that's been inexplicably in my closet for 10 years nice. uh, fits. So it looks brand new because no one's ever worn it. Um, but yeah, I used to sell these. Sell these. I used to have these at show for sale for a while. Uh, it turns out nobody wants a gearhead uh, t-shirt except for people who have read gearhead, which is an exclusive group. That's how we'll call it. Um, but yeah, I used to I used to go hard. Like Kevin and I, Kevin Mellon and I were doing table things together. We would do 12, 14 shows a year and pay for our table and have to sell to make the money back. And we had all sorts of prints and T-shirts and whatever. And the moment, the moment I got Marvel work and could just sign books people already paid elsewhere and not have to carry anything in, I became the laziest, uh, <laughs> most... Uh, not, not like a prima donna. Like I'm not. I don't have high expectations of anyone else. Just have relatively low expectations of myself. That, that's a good way to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I still. On, I still want to bring. I still want to bring all that stuff to conventions. And I think if you're doing creator own stuff, and I do a lot of creator own stuff, I think conventions are pretty important uh, because otherwise people don't don't discover it. I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's the thing. I have a really strange career in that I did two creator of books that got published and a bunch of stuff that didn't and then immediately started doing enough Marvel work that I have not done a lot of creator on. I'm, I'm getting back to it soon. I have I actually have a book coming out this next year. That's my big return to creator own. Um, but yeah, I've done mostly Marvel work and that's a different, that's a different animal. Like unless you've got a stack of Deadpool books, like someone I know that sell themselves based on Deadpool being Deadpool. Uh, and also, my Deadpool is the best dead. Well, you know, I'm tired of saying otherwise. It's my, mine is the best. Uh, and I'm not going to be uh, humble about it anymore. I write the best Deadpool. You heard it here, folks. There are certain things, there are certain superhero properties that if you, if you have a book with them on it, you can sell the cons because a lot of the people who are buying stuff at cons are not comic book super fans. They're, Casual fans who are wandering around looking for something. Oh, yeah. they Deadpool. They'll buy Deadpool. Well, there's a reason when I'm at a show, I put those Deadpool books with the big Deadpool symbol. I put them out face front so that people see them because it will stop those casual fans and they'll say, "Oh, I love Deadpool. I've watched right. the movie 272 times." Right. And I, to a lesser degree, because she's not Deadpool, my pregnant Spider Woman does that. So I have a bunch of my of uh, whatever it's called, baby on board uh, Spider Woman trade because. Women, like mothers and pregnant women and stuff, they're like, oh, pregnant superhero. They have no idea who Spider-Woman is. But right. then like, like, yeah, I'm really proud of this. It's gorgeous. Drawn by Javier Rodriguez. You should buy it. 
and I'll sell a lot of those. Whereas something like my X-Men run, which, you know, sold really well in stores and I sign a lot of other people's copies, it's not going to jump out just to a casual yeah. wandering fan. I was trying to think of what my first fan convention was. And, uh, they all, you know, I used to go to a lot of what, like hotel room shows where people would just set up in like small hotel rooms and just a few tables selling books. And it, it kind of blurs together, but I want to say that my first convention was uh, Heroes Con years and years and years ago. I don't know how many years Heroes Con has been going, but I know I went to a convention there that I'm pretty sure was, was Heroes Con way back when. Were you still, were you still living in the Carolinas or you yeah, went there from yeah, Missouri? I was still living in the Carolinas. Maybe it wasn't Heroes Con. I don't even know how long Heroes Con has been running. Um, the reason it blurs together is, is because I, I think, and the reason I think it's Heroes Con is at the same time, I went to like a barbecue celebration at the store Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. And, uh, and I remember that maybe even more clearly than the convention. I remember going to the convention and Rick Leonardi was there and I got him to sign my cloak and daggers. And, uh, and I thought that was awesome. Let's talk about Cloak and Dagger and how amazing it is. Now you can download Cloak and Dagger 1 through 3 on Marvel.com. Yes, you can download it at Marvel.com. Thank you for that uh, plug. Yes. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and then I went to this store, and uh, I stayed there all day long because they were giving away issues of G.I. Joe that I needed, like as a door prize, and I wanted to be there when the G.I. Joe door prize came through. And, uh, and I remember this dude dressed as Superman was walking around and he said everybody, we were looking through back issues and he was telling people, uh, none of you kids better shoplift or I'm going to burn your butts with my heat vision. <laughs> and then he introduced me to a uh, team. He, yeah, I was looking through X-Men and he said, if you like X-Men, you'll probably like Teen Titans. And uh, he introduced me to the teen, uh, Marv Wolfman, Wolfman Teen Titans run and it was awesome. So, that's Wait, so in the 80s while that was going on? Yeah. So that's that was a, a long time ago. So I, like I said, I don't know if, if the hero, I don't know how long Heroes Con's been running, but it would have been. I mean, a good long while. Yeah. I feel like Latour has stories about being a teenager or younger and being there. Yeah. So, I mean, this was been when I was a teen. So anyway, it was a convention in Charlotte and, uh, I remember very clearly it was fun. Um, but then, yeah, then I started going to like, uh, some Wizard World shows and, uh, as I got older, I didn't go to conventions for many, many years, but then when I started getting into writing, I'd go to Wizard World shows and uh, the show in Rosemont, Illinois. I went to that one a whole bunch. Did you go before? It was before it was a Wizard show. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, then San Diego and New York, which were terribly overwhelming for me when I first went. And San Diego still feels overwhelming when I go. One of my... I mean, I want to say maybe my second show ever, maybe, I don't know, maybe I went to, I probably went to a couple local shows in between, but after that San Diego experience, I went and pitched, well, you know, it had to, there had to have been other shows in between, but I went and pitched Gearhead to Eric Larson when he was the publisher at Image. I hand pitched him, I just saw him on the floor at the very first New York Comic Con, uh, and I had to do it on Sunday because on Saturday, and I'd flown to New York to do this with like, made no money, period, and definitely no money in comics at the time. So I spent everything I had to fly to New York. And that was the year that they wildly underestimated how many people were going to show up. So I waited in line for four hours to be told by a fire marshal I wasn't getting in on Saturday. And so I only got to get on Sunday. But because of that, a lot of people turned were turned off and didn't come back on Sunday. So it was pretty empty on Sunday. So I got to meet like Brian Wood and Brian K. Vaughn and uh, 
Bendis and Oming. And yeah, I saw Eric Larson and I handed him my, my gearhead packet, which was like, I think it was like the whole first issue. And he's like, well, I, I can't read this here, but like the art looks competent. You should send it in. And I, like, I was thrilled about that and sent it in and he wrote us a very nice rejection letter a few months later, uh, that we were close, but not quite there. And he wanted to see more. Um, I, uh, I think that's one of the most nerve-wracking things is pitching a, conven- a com- comic to someone face-to-face at a convention. Yes. Uh, I, it wasn't a comic show, but I went to World Horicon in New York City uh, one time. It's the convention where I met Jimmy Z, who you mentioned earlier. But uh, I pitched to Axel Alonzo while I was at the show. They, they set up pitch sessions. And uh, and I, I was friends with the person who set up the pitch session, so I just had her put me on all of them, and I was pitching to everybody. But was Axel Alonzo, was, was this when Axel was at Vertigo? No, he was at Marvel. He wasn't oh. editor-in-chief, but he was at Marvel. And uh, that was the one I prepared for, and I brought like a, a several several pitches. I brought a pitch for Moon Knight, and uh, there's something else I brought, and I p- brought a pitch for a Morbius series. That uh, Chris Somney drew a bunch of art for. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, right before the, right before my pitch session, another writer came up and said, "Hey, just so you know, I hope you're not planning on pitching a Moon Knight series or pitching this series." And he like rattled off everything I developed the series for. He's like, "Yeah, because they've got something in development, you know, on each of those books." So I went into this into this meeting, and I just didn't even. I was like a, a deer in headlights. I had no idea what to do. Had no idea what to say. I did pitch my. Uh, my Morbius series, but they weren't interested in Morbius at the time. Well, they weren't interested in anything. That what you know now is you just needed to give amazing pitches for anything to show that you could pitch. Yeah. yeah. Even this day, I can't. I, if I pitch Marvel something, they're going to offer me something else, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't give me what I pitch almost ever. Like I got, I got uh, all new X Men after having pitched an X twenty three series. Like you just. You, you just have to show them you have story ideas and then it's, you know, what they need or whatever. I mean, I guess maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe my ideas suck. No, it's, it's very rare that they pick up a pitch. You can send them pitch after pitch and, uh, and the, usually the best you get help for is they're going to offer you something different because they like what you were saying. Uh, right. As Guardians of the Galaxy, which comes out in just a couple of weeks, there, there's my plug. Uh, <laughs> I did pitch that to Marvel years ago, and they, they kind of sat on it forever until just recently, and they said, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So sometimes it happens. Right. I pitched that, and Fearless Defenders were the only two books that were pitches that I sent in, you know, specifically for those titles that actually got picked up. Well, sometimes books will shift on you when you have them. Like, oh, yeah. Avengers Arena, I was asked to pitch uh, Avengers Academy relaunch that made a slightly harder edge Avengers Academy. And I did this whole pitch with new characters and uh, Pepper Potts was going to be the uh, the headmistress because Bruce Banner was the headmaster and was useless and was never around. And it was like a shield run military academy. I had all this stuff. And there was like one line in my idea for ARC 3 that was uh, Tri-Wizard Tournament meets Hunger Games. When right. a villain takes over uh, some sort of event with other schools, and yeah, Axel and Tom saw that and were like, "Let's just do that. That's your book. Just give us a, a whole new plot outline that is just this, which is the best note I've ever gotten." But yeah, Avengers Arena came out of like one sentence from my my Bible. Yeah, I think, 
I think we were at a convention when you got that note because I remember being at a party with you and you came over and said, well, they just changed my entire pitch for Avengers Arena. And uh, I think it was at a Marvel party. Because, uh, uh, that was in Chicago, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Those good news, bad news calls are always interesting from the editor because they're like afraid you're going to freak out. But I, I don't know. I always feel like an editor's job is to point you in the right direction. And if you take the note with optimism, you can usually find, you know, you can figure out what it is that they're responding to and kind of head in that direction. Or you can be like me and burn every bridge that possibly exists. <laughs> it's your favorite thing to do. Apparently, I'm really good at it, too. Uh, judging from recent events, I'm very good at burning bridges, Dennis. Good work. Good work. Uh, yes. Um, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, conventions, I think the thing people don't think about is with these shows, and the reason we say they're love-hate is because I love going. I love meeting the fans. I, I love talking to people about comic books. But when we go to a four-day show... That takes at minimum four days out of our work schedule. Yes. And as freelancers, we don't make any money if we're not writing. Right. And well, yeah, that's no, matter tough. How, no matter how well you're selling books, you could make more money typing and your yeah. deadlines would be getting behind. Yeah, I mean, you know, artists uh, can sell commissions and sell artwork and stuff like that, which which I think helps their bottom line at conventions. But even, I don't think even artists can, I mean, unless they're selling a lot of original art. Um, I don't know that they can make it, you know, that, that make it worth it compared to actually doing the work. Um, but we still do them because it's a great way to meet fans and a great way to, to, to interact with the people who are buying your books. So, uh, I mean, that's why we, we still do them, I guess. But Well, yeah, so also we, I mean, you know, this is where I work. See how there are no people here. So I have to go to a coffee shop to be surrounded by humans. Whereas at a con, like I get to see you, I get to see other people who do what we do. And like, there's a whole, community thing that happens with creators and editors and publishers after hours where we get to go out and actually like be a community together. And I think that's important to remind you, like it's always like creatively energizing to talk to other people about what they're working on and talk to editors and seeing oh, people. Yeah. That's, that's true. I don't think I've ever gone to a convention when I didn't come back and was excited to get back to work and, and do some new things and everything, which right. is also good and bad, I guess, because you get, I get, I get, uh, I get sidetracked with different ideas, and I'll, I'll start chasing an idea and not focus on what I should be focusing on. Well, that's just a constant struggle, right, in life. Yeah. And my other constant struggle with conventions, I've been told this by you know for many years. I think you've even said it to me, but I know my good friend Brian Hurt has, has drilled this into me, is I have a, a resting uh, bitch face, I guess. <laughs> is that what that's called? Uh, that's what he's told me I had. Um, where I just look like I'm always in a bad mood. My, my face, my default face is very, uh, grumpy. What's that? Grumpy? Yeah, grumpy. So I have to force myself, and, and that's not the case. I'm almost never grumpy at conventions, but I think, uh, I put on that face that, uh, without thinking about the people, uh, are, you know, opposed to. Well, it's also the case that being on when you're used to being alone in a room all day is can be exhausting. There are people like Scotty Young, I think, is on all the time if nobody's looking. So it's right. like really easy for him to go be charming at a convention. Um, or like Jason Latour, you can't turn him off if you try. Right. But for people like us, I think we spend a lot more time, a little bit more chill. And yeah, that, that the reads is grumpy or uh, standoffish, so you have to kind of like ramp it up, which I do for 20 minutes at a time for these things to keep you elevated. But I yeah, just assume that I'm so good looking 
with my default face that people want to talk to me. Like they go out of their way to go over. They're just walking along, looking at cosplay. They look over. Oh, there's a good looking man selling comic books. And they hustle over very quickly to hear my six gun pitch. I've but, seen this happen. But it's, it's only when I'm smiling. <laughs> and when, when, when Cindy's there, she just slapped the shit out of him for getting anywhere near her man. That's so true. She might. She might. There, there have been times where she's like, why was that person so excited to meet you? And she never believes it's because I'm a talented person and they enjoy my work. That can't possibly be it. But well, that's, that's the, you know, that's the, uh, the burden of being such a, uh, Adonis, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's your beautiful man, I would say. Um, so before we stop talking about conventions, I do, you know, here's my big plug because this is a Missouri, you know, Missouri swagger. We're talking about Missouri and we have a few listeners that are in Missouri and I'm learning a different side of conventions now because I'm helping to, uh, to organize a convention in Springfield, Missouri called CaveCon. You're going to be there. I would be there even though I'm not on the website for some reason. Yes, you are. I just looked last night. Oh, did you put it? Did I no, finally? I don't think I put it on there. You're on there. Uh, I think. I'll check again. I'm making a note. We need to have a Missouri Swagger panel. What's that? We need to do a live show there. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a whole bunch of live recordings of Missouri Swagger at, uh, at CaveCon. But uh, it's going to be a fun show. It's going to be September 29th and 30th, so it's coming up. Um, it's going to be Springfield's, what I consider Springfield's first real uh, comic book convention. And uh, we have a lot of guests. We have uh, Brian Hurt, uh, Tyler Crook. Joe Lansdale, who I'm super excited to meet because I'm such a, a huge Joe Lansdale fan. Uh, Steve Niles, um, Maat Crook, uh, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers, and also my co-writer on uh, the book Metro. Uh, Brian Johnson and Ming Chen from Comic Book Men. We got a whole bunch of, and that's just you know scratching the surface. The, the guest list goes on and on. Kyle Strom, Baldemar Rivas. I mean, it's it's going to be a really cool show where you can actually meet a lot of creators. And uh, Josh Roberts, who this was his brainchild, he's the owner of of my local shop, the Comic Cave. Uh, he's really curating the uh, the vendors. He wants them to be a show where you can go and enjoy, you know, comics and collectibles. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, please go check out. Uh, I think it's a Cavecon Spring com. You can get to the website and see all the guests. Maybe not Dennis. I don't know. He might not be on the site. I've not posted a photo of me. Which you have to have. I have so I've many photos. got a photo of you. I can now post. You, which one is it? Your uh, Razor Ramon. Oh, you should post the photo of the two of us from that store signing. All right. Well, I'll make sure you're on there. But uh, but if you haven't looked into it, uh, I think it's going to be a great show. If you're anywhere in Missouri or surrounding areas, I think it's going to be a show well worth uh, traveling for. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, uh, and you know, I, I want to see as many people there as I can because I think Springfield deserves a show like this. First year show, so get in on the ground floor. There's my pitch for KC. It's going to be awesome. Cohen genuinely loves Springfield. He lives in Springfield. The one and only time I've ever been to Springfield, I had a police detective thinking that I broke into his neighbor's house. So I have, I guess, no, I've been twice. The second time, there were no legal problems. Yeah, I forgot to call that one in on the second visit. <laughs> I called in the first one. I, I heard there might be trouble, so I called in. Dennis Hopeless, get him. So you can invite anybody who comes to Cape Con over to get in your hot tub? No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? That's like not happening. Point. All right, fair enough. Um, all right. 
So that's it about conventions. We love them. You should animate them. We hope to see you. I mean, they're just exhausting. When it comes down to it, we love them. We love, like, everything about it is exciting when you're going in. It's just like Sunday, hungover, been standing on concrete the whole time, back hurts, and you know you got to work the next day. It's kind of exhausting. Yeah, there Um, was a, there was one that I think I, I mean, uh, this has never happened to me before, but at Heroes Con a couple of years ago, I had because I don't usually eat during the day at a convention. I just don't think about it. And uh, I was signing books, and I almost passed out. Like I stumbled back, I kind of blacked out for about a second. And uh, luckily, either Brian Hurd or Jimmy Z like caught my arm, and I, so I didn't fall. But it's the weirdest uh, that that. I, that showed how exhausting it was. It was a, a Sunday, and, I, and and not eating probably didn't help. But hashtag pro tip: you should take produce and nuts and have them at your table so you can eat snacky food that has a lot of nutrients. It's good for you if you have like grapes and snap peas and baby carrots and like some almonds there. You don't get super full, but you don't have to go eat like potato chips or whatever crap they sell at the convention center, and you keep that energy. Space. This is not a default place. This is my actual displeasure at you telling me to eat snap peas at a convention. You've seen me do it. I, I do know. it. I practice what I preach. Um, but oh, and finally, uh, have you ever had con crud, Dennis? Have you ever time. come back from a con? All the time. Yes. All the time. Yeah. It ter- That's my big. I, I'm terrified of con crud. It's awful. I got it at Heroes Con one year like the final day and then we had to drive a 14 hour drive and I was sick the whole way and I was uh, it's the most miserable I've ever been and concrete for those who don't know is when you shake a thousand hands over the course of a weekend yeah. and, and some of the money if you're diseases on them yeah and you have to eat sitting there so if you see creators oftentimes will have lots of sanitized yeah sanitizer sitting there or they'll like fist bump you instead of shaking your hand they're not trying to offend you yeah, they just don't be offended don't be fucking diseases in their mouths because yeah, we have to work the next day. It's actually for your benefit as much as ours, because you don't want to shake our hands after we've been handling money and talking to other people and eating snap peas. And, yeah, that's and how that's, I get it. I, yeah, I sit there and eat carrots, and I try to wash my hands and keep sanitizer around, but I yeah. snack throughout the day. So carrots will get you sick. Nachos, don't oh. get you sick. Carrots, sick. Um, Tell me a cougar story. All right, so I'll try to make it quick. Uh, um, a lot of people have already heard this story, so... Uh, and it's not convention related at all, but I'll tell it because I told Dennis heard it first at a convention, and uh, Dennis heard it first there. Tony Moore, B. B Clay Moore, uh, and that's when they all fell in love with me and started to idolize me in some way. It's true, true story. Um, so when I was eighteen, I moved from North Carolina to Missouri, and uh, you'd think the story would take place in Missouri, but it doesn't. It takes place in <laughs> North North Carolina because I would travel back frequently to visit all my friends. And on this one trip, I visited my friend Eric. I was staying at his house, and we were going to get up early one Saturday morning and drive to Raleigh, which was about an hour away. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure we were planning on going to guard sales and hunting for comic books. But uh, we got up uh, early, and uh, I took a shower, and I came out, and Eric was on the phone. And I thought it was weird because it was so early in the morning. You don't call people that early. That's insulting. And he was standing in front of this big sliding glass door, and he was on the phone. And I said, Eric, what are you doing? And he motions for me. He says, come here, come here, come here. Look, look, look. And I go up to the window, and there is a cougar marching back and forth on the on his back patio. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I've never seen a cougar out in the wild before, you know, roaming free. That's amazing. And I thought nothing else of it and went back to get on with my business. A few minutes later, Eric called me again. Um, and he, he was on the phone with the police. What do you do when there's a cougar in your yard? 
uh, he called me again. He said, Cullen, uh, the cougar ran off. Go outside and don't let it get in the highway. <laughs> so I said, okay. And I opened the sliding glass door and I walked out. And I started ma- walking around Eric's house. Um, he, it, the front of his house faced like a big, a busy highway or a busy country road, like something out of pet cemetery. And, uh, I walked around the house, didn't see the cougar, walked, you know, by the highway, didn't see the cougar, got around to the other side of the house, still hadn't seen the cougar. Um, and I got in between, you know, about halfway between Eric's house and the sliding glass door and safety and these tobacco barns that were over in the, you know, a little ways away. And I looked over and there in the shadows of that tobacco barn was this cougar. And he was pouched, crouched down with his paws in front of his face. His eyes were as big as pie plates. And his tail was just whipping. Just whipping around. He was staring right at me. And uh, I called over to Eric and I said, Eric, I found the cougar. And he calls out. He's got the door open. He calls out, good, good. Just keep an eye on it. Don't let it get hurt. I said, it's watching me, Eric. <laughs> and he's like, it's okay, it's okay. Just, you know, just make sure you know where it is. And I turn back, and as I turn back this time, this cougar is running at me as fast as it possibly can. Just, I mean, dirt clods are coming up from under its feet, and it's just charging straight at me. And I just called back, and I said, it's running at me, Eric. And he leaned out on his phone. The cord of the phone was holding him. He leaned out and looked. And I turned, and here comes this cougar. And uh, it, and it gets just a couple of yards from me, and it leaps into the air. And all I could do, I couldn't run. So I just held out my hand, straight, straight arm, this cougar right in front of me. It hit me. It threw me back into some bushes several several yards. It was crawling on top of me. Eric let his dog out. The dog came running up. The cougar popped the dog, and the dog just sort of did this little spin around with a strange, confused look on his face. Um, and I realized I was not dead and uh, that I, I had survived this cougar attack and that the cougar was uh, just gumming me with the side of his mouth. Uh, and, and also I wasn't all cut up from claws. And... Uh, I, I yelled out, I said, I'm all right, I'm all right, and I pushed the cougar off of me, and uh, I got up, and I was, you know, I'd been thrown into the ground by a cougar, so I was all a little dirty and messed up, but I was not physically injured. And uh, this cougar was super friendly. It would rub up against you like a kitten. It was purring. I mean, it pounced on me like three or four times, like playing, like a cat will pounce on you. It just thought I was a fun toy to terrorize. Um, and it ends up, we found out that you, it, he didn't have his front claws. Um, and I found out you can own a cougar in North Carolina until they are 18 months old, I think. Or you could. I don't know if you still can. Back then, you could own a cougar. And this guy I went to school with uh, uh, owned this cougar, and it had gotten out of its cage or pen or whatever and had wandered over to Eric's house. Um, and this guy came and picked the cougar up. He was in a an RX-7, a little two-seater type car. And uh, the cougar crawled back under the tobacco barn. His name was 8-Ball. And... Uh, <laughs> More simple. Yes. And uh, he, the guy went under and put a leash on the eight ball and drug him out in the cougar. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen because this is an animal that wanted to be free, wanted to pounce on aspiring comic book writers. Um, and he, it just laid on its side, like just completely lost its energy and his will. And this guy drug him back to the, RX, the, the RX-7 and put him in the passenger seat and drove off with him. Almost certainly wearing a sleeveless T-shirt that said Uzi does it. Maybe so. Honestly, it wouldn't. I mean, I don't remember. I remember the guy. Uh, he looked a lot like you, uh, but uh, <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, but he had a cougar. So uh, when I told this story, you said you said a, you, you made a joke that I didn't appreciate. Uh, what was the joke? I'm sure I interrupted you in the beginning of the story to ask you to specify whether you meant a cougar, the animal, 
Oh, yeah. An older woman who likes younger men. And I thought that was funny. And you looked at me and you said, the animal. Because I guarantee every time you tell that story, some jackass makes that joke or back then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't funny. I was, in my defense, I was probably 24 when I heard that story. And maybe, maybe. I was not a smart 24-year-old. Well, let's be honest. You've, you well, I won't say anything, but you've grown a lot. You've grown a lot. Okay, with my current brain, I would be a very smart 24-year-old. Yes, yes. With your current brain, you would be smart for 24. All right. All right. So that's it, everybody. Um, if you like the video, please uh, hit the like button and uh, subscribe to the channel. And uh, check out our other videos. I forget what it is. I, I wanted to say Hopeless when, Cast. When it's a podcast, I'm going to explain the Hopeless Cast at some point. We'll do that going, next time. All right. We'll Hopeless Cast it next time. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks.